On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at how Apple are using virtual avatar salespeople, why customer service are binning their apps, the insane, absolutely insane growth and revenue within the CRM space, and much, much more. My name is Will Barron, and one half of this week in sales, the other half, the sales legend that is Victor Antonio, joins me by the power of the internet. Victor, how is it going, sir? Man, it is going good, Will. Uh, I don't know if I told you, but yesterday I celebrated my birthday. And so I will not tell you. Thank you very much. I will not tell you my age, but I will say that it's two digits. That's as far as I want to go. It's in the two digit range. <laughs> it's because not you know the what? three digit range. Genuinely, Victor, right? Yes, I would. I would. I, I, I'm not going to do it on air. I'm, I'm saying that before I say it. I would. I would find difficulty putting an age on you because I think you're oh, probably you probably look younger and you definitely act younger than what you actually right. are. And I've, honestly, I think I would I would genuinely hesitate to to put an age on you. I, well, put it, let me flip this, and I'll I'll do this in a polite way. How old do you think I am, Victor? You're probably about thirty eight. I'm thirty four. Okay, I got four. It's the beard, man. The beard throws you off because <laughs> I've seen I've seen your I've seen your picture. I'll try to reflect real quick with the beard, uh, without the beard, because I've seen the interview we did like three four years ago, and you had no beard, and you look like a baby. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So the beard does add some age to you. It does. So if you wanted that more mature look, yes, <laughs> the will better mature look, then you got it. You got it. I don't so, know about mature. Yeah, okay. there's, there's probably other things to go out with this. Um, I've got a new thing that I want to add to the beginning of the, each of these episodes, Victor. And I want you to tell me if you think these are true or false, right? Today, as we record, it is true or false, Victor. It is National Dress Up Your Pet Day. True. True. Victor, <laughs> true or false, is today National Hot Pastrami Sandwich Day. Probably true as well. It's true, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've not got one that's negative. I'll throw a, a red herring in there next week for us. But yeah, yeah, it is National Dress Up Your Pet Day and National Hot Pastrami Sandwich Day. Who comes up with these Look things? At, I don't know. You know. It's like when people assign things a day. I'm even madder at people who assign things a whole month. Like this is sure. like, I think January is also now... And I guess they're coinciding because they ran out of months. Now it's, it's personal <laughs> development month. You know, that I'm kind like, of makes okay. sense though. You know, January yeah, it's the all the new year, new me. Everyone's flogging uh, weight loss books and and products that are not going to be used within the next like three or four days from this point. Um, so that kind of makes sense. But do we need a national day for sandwiches? I'm not sure if we do. for each individual know. sandwich. I'm not sure we do. You know, I I hate to start out this show like this, but I'm gonna have to go here. Why oh, would no. somebody flog their health? wellness books i mean why would you flog it to be better well, how do you use the word flog Flog is like beating like flog beating as in yeah. selling to someone who doesn't want to be sold I, a used okay. car salesperson would flog you a car but yeah okay. not not literally <laughs> flogging with a, a, a yeah. whip of some sort i just want to clarify there's nothing kinky in this that... uh, in, there's nothing yeah. kinky in my example there Victor. you're you're pulling it in that direction mate <laughs> yeah yeah what's that one saying get your mind out of the gutter so mine can slide on by <laughs> right ahead, well with that we better get to uh, some sales news here and i thought this was incredible so i don't know if you've looked into this victor and um I, I, this is relatively new out in the last past past few days and mm. it's just a patent but clearly to patent something there's got to be something behind it so i'm quoting here from patentlyapple.com who seemingly has a whole business and blog around rummaging through apple patents apple patents an Apple patent envisages a completely new virtual store experience with avatar salespeople that can make presentations about products 
and more. Victor. Let me let me stop. You. Let, let me first of all let okay. me stop you right here because you're confusing my U.S. audience already. Will by patent means patents here in the U.S. That's what he means. So this is we're, we're trying to bridge the gap across the ocean, folks. That's all we're trying to do here. But yes, we're, we're trying to correct the Americanisms here. That's what we're trying to do on this show. That's, that's a good thirteen percent of our content. So the. U.S. To be fair, we're talking about a U.A. A U.S. patent. Is that the correct term? Uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office published a patent application from Apple that relates to it, advancing the experience of buying devices. Basically, what Apple are trying to do is give instantaneous feedback, answer to questions, demonstrations of products, and a human connection of the in-person mm -hmm. shopping experience, but without real people. And this is clearly brought on by both COVID and other things as well. I think Apple have been uh, at the forefront of closing all their stores and making a big deal and get loads of PR about it as soon as there is an outbreak of COVID in cities rather than trying to grab those last few iPhone sales before they're forced to close. So it's probably on the back of that. But with, with this, Victor, let me ask you this question. Is B2C sales dead? If Apple can pull this off, as it just wiped out B2C sales? Mm-hmm. There was an engineering term I learned many years ago. It's one of my favorite engineering terms. It's an, it's asymptotic. Asymptotic. When something approaches zero but never gets to zero, right? And so I think B2C sale is on an asymptotic decline. It'll never go away, but it's moving towards zero. You know, the whole thing about even, you know, look at Amazon. Amazon's talking about zero clicks. Forget the one-click buy. Zero-click means they'll predict what you want. So in this CGI or CGR environment, what they're—I mean—it's like putting Alex, putting a bot, a virtual body on Alexa or Siri. Isn't that kind of what we're talking about? That you'll walk in, you'll be able sure. to talk to Siri or Alexa and say, "Hey, uh, here's kind of what I'm looking for. What do you think?" And so, is that going to be part of the process? Absolutely. The customer experience is all about reducing that friction, and this is a major step. I think it's brilliant. And by the way, I don't think this is too far off. Will, what do you think? I don't think it's far off at all. And the uh, just to carry on this, the, the post here from Patently Apple. So th there's, there's multiple elements to this. There is a complete mm -hmm. virtual avatar solution, and then there is mm -hmm. a avatar which is a human person that you just remote mm -hmm. uh, you're communicating with virtually. So the the post says the techniques described in Apple's patent filing cover the ability to provide real time communications with a remote salesperson via a virtual communication session. Maybe that's going to be a, a new Apple term, virtual communication session, who can guide a user through the shopping experience in a CGR environment. Now, the issue I've got with this is the Apple store is pretty sterile as it is, right? I, I don't know, but I assume it's uh, ubiquitous the way that the store is presented worldwide. I think that's part of the the, the, the shtick with the, the Apple stores, right? Um, so I've only really bought, I've bought one thing from there. I've been in when other people have bought other things. I bought my MacBook from there. Um, and the, the person comes over to you. There's no till. They swipe your card right in front of the, where you're kind of playing with the, the toy, essentially. And it's a cool experience. But part of that experience is a human being comes over to you and asks you questions and essentially closes the deal as opposed to they're not really doing a real consulting session with you or anything like that. Maybe Apple have uh, different ways of selling when you're uh, with the XServe servers and, and the higher-end uh, music production and, and Mac Pro stuff. You're spending 20 grand on a Mac. I probably want more than a virtual connection uh, to discuss it. But with that said, part of the allure of it all is that it someone does come to you. So I don't know how they're going to physically do this. I don't know if there's going to be 
a station where you walk over and there's a, a laptop or computer or phone that you want to buy. And then above it, there's a big screen with an Apple TV attached and you're talking through the screen. That might be a little bit sterile, weird and to Apple, if that makes sense. It's taken, it, maybe it would take a little bit of the magic away. Yeah, I, lo I love that phrase. It's to Apple. That's a, that's a really interesting phrase. You know what, as you were saying, talking about this, I, I was thinking kiosk. Like you ever go like to uh, McDonald's or something, they have kiosks, right? Sure. Now you notice that people still want it, unless there's a, if there's a huge line, people will line up at the kiosk. But if there's not a huge line, they still want that human interaction. And sometimes using the kiosk is really cumbersome. Option, click. Got click. So that increases friction where it's easier. And I think I'm with you on this one is I still want to talk to a person. So if they can get the AI to that level where it sounds it's very seamless, then if they can't do it, then I would rather just talk to a human being. So interesting direction, sure. though. Sure. OK, we'll, we'll move but, on from but that. We'll, but we'll, sure. can, I, can I add that maybe for the, some of the simpler products, like if you're trying, just buying a, a phone or some accessories that, you know, that might work. But I think if you're trying to put together, let's say, a system, you know, by that means you're, you're buying one of those Mac Pro towers or something, something, you know, with liquid cooling and you need somebody to really talk to, then I think that would need an individual. But, but it's interesting, and there'll be data on this for sure. Someone who's buying an iPhone is probably less informed about the product than someone who is buying a Mac Pro. Someone who's buying a Mac Pro has probably done a ton of research. Uh, maybe they work in the uh, audio production industry. They've used Macs all their lives versus your grandma might be buying an iPhone. I might really need to sit down with one of the, what they call them, Apple geniuses and, and have a chat with them. So I don't know whether price is a good indicator on how high a touch you need to be with some of these things. Of course, if you are spending 20 grand on a Mac Pro, th there's there's revenue and budget to get someone in front of you, clearly, versus uh, you know, a $1,000 iPhone. There might be less revenue and budget uh, to do it. But Apple, a lot of what they're doing is based on this Apple magic. And I, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull it off. If they can pull it off, they've won the game. They've Everyone will copy them, and they'll have obliterated the market for B2C. Um, but if they can't quite pull it off, you know, uh, I'm open to I'm open to see kind of how it how it plans out. I go back to your phrase. It may be too Apple, and maybe mm -hmm. overshoot the mark a little bit. So yeah, love that. Great point. Cool. Okay. Next up, um, I wanted to ask you this question. I don't know if you have. Uh, I, I don't know how much you've studied this and the numbers in in the doc here this week, Victor. But it's talking about uh, this article from customerthink.com is suggesting, heavily suggesting, that sales tech is the new marketing tech. Just before we get into the numbers, is that something that you can agree with? Yes, 100%. How's that? For certainty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I would say- I, I agree. Uh, I would, you could almost say that MarTech is the new sales tech. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I, I see marketing now is the bigger player. Given customer journeys, things we've talked about in the play, it's a bigger player than sales. By the time they reach you, you know, you just got to kind of, I don't want to say close the deal, but you just got to close the deal. They've already been conditioned. Sure. Oh, very literally, you've summed it up there. The title of this article from Custer Think is Sales Tech is the New MarTech and it's supercharging both professions. So I pulled out a few numbers of this. Um, I assumed you'd be going down the route of sales mm -hmm. uh, tech is the new MarTech here. Uh, but just some numbers for any of the audience who are un unsold on this idea. Outreach has hit a 1.3 Three billion valuation last summer, so it's probably higher now still. High sales Loft, which we covered big, last week. Sure. <clears throat> By the way, big big shout out to Outreach and Sales Loft. Let's give them credit because that's that's big news right there. Yeah, they're killing it. Sales Loft we discussed last week has re has achieved a one point one billion valuation. 
Um, this is a bit of a mouthful. Data from a recent 2021 revenue operations and customer acquisition benchmark report. I had to actually literally had to take a breath in the middle of that uh, acronym there. Um, revealed that 28% of companies surveyed are spending $400 or more per rep per month on sales technology, sales tech. And then mm. the final bit of evidence here to prove this point that sales tech is the new MarTech is Aragon Research predicts that sales and sales engagement will be a 5.59 billion market by 2023. Big so, numbers. Big numbers. Insane Huge numbers. numbers. I think we're in the wrong numbers. business. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be you know what, creating some of this you, software rather than talking about it, I think. <laughs> good good idea, man. Good idea. That's your big numbers. Those are huge numbers. They're like, um, they're big boy numbers. So when you talk about, uh, I don't know for this year, but the last time I looked at the sales training market, um, the spend, it was just under 3 billion. So people are now spending way more on software for salespeople than they are training for salespeople. And I think that that flip is interesting. So maybe that is suggest interesting. That, say maybe that suggest say that again. That, uh, I'll say it again. I'll, I'll, I'll say it slow so I don't confuse myself. The global spend, I'm going to Google it in a second. The global spend last time I looked at it for sales training, B2B sales training, was about $3 billion a year. The Was it predicted to be where are we, a 5.5 billion mar, uh, market uh, cap for sales engagement tools by 2023? So sales engagement tools, sales software, sales tech has overshot sales training as to what companies, organizations, the enterprise are spending on it. Is that surprising to you? You called me out no, on that then. Is that a surprising number? No, no, no. I'm, I, I, no, that wasn't a call out. That was a emphasize that again, because that's a, that's a huge data point, right? That's a huge shift. And just the way you said it was well say, stated. So uh, the fact that the numbers are moving in that direction, I mean, it makes sense, but I didn't realize the gap was getting that big now. It's like, holy buckets. Mm -hmm. That's big. It's that's fascinating big. to me, Victor, in that... Maybe we think, and maybe we can, solve some of the sales training issues with sales software, in which case it's worth that automation, it's worth that spend. Because that $400 a month, the average spend on sales engagement tools per rep, that was a surprise to me because that's, that's, that's a shit ton of money if you've got a massive mm. enterprise sales team. There was, there's a lady, I don't know, uh, her name is Nancy Narden. And she's like Miss Technology and Sales. You, you've probably interviewed her. Right? If you haven't, I'd be shocked. Nancy Narden, and she's always looking at the different type of, you know, you ever see those big charts where they have all the different apps in the marketing space or the sales space? Mm -hmm. And so she, she prints one of those up. And about a year or two ago, she had the number at about $230 US per month. And I thought that was low. So this number is actually making sense to me. 400, okay, okay, I'm starting to believe it now. Because if the average salesperson has between five to seven different apps in their stack, this number clearly starts to make sense. See, you've got more experience in this uh, with your, your background <clears throat> in management <throat> leadership and all that kind of stuff. But that number was a shock for me. Uh, just to shout out uh, Nancy, who I haven't interviewed, um, but I would interview her. Uh, you can find her over at smartsellingtools.com. That number was a surprise for me, Victor, because I, I don't think we're there yet, but at a certain point, if we reached... $1,000 per rep per month, $2,000 per rep per month, per month. I'd rather not use any of the sales tools, have that extra 
cash thrown at me and just work harder and longer hours. At some point, there's going to be a crossover <laughs> point. If it's five grand a month for spending on sales tools, give yeah. me the five grand and I'll sort it out myself. I don't need yeah. someone to, to look and find email addresses for me and contact information. I'll just work a bit harder during the day. I think you're overshooting on that one. I mean, some of these tools are great. You know, um, uh, you know Brandon Bornanson, right, from Seamless.ai. So I interviewed him as well. And, you know, just the company he's building around scrubbing data to find the right lead, you know, contact information is a challenge in and of itself. So I see his product as also something very needed to help salespersons, you know, to reduce the amount of time they have to search online to get the right contact information. So I think if you were in sales right now, you'd take that statement back. You would want the tools, man. You would want the tools to make your life easier. That's almost like saying, you know, I don't want the vacuum cleaner. I'll just pick up the lint with my hands. You don't want to do that. What <laughs> I'm, you all I'm saying, Victor, is at a certain point, the value of them, at a certain point, and you can clearly calculate the value, right, of we started using the tool we uh, before we used the tool. At a certain point, there's going to be a threshold. And whether it might be 10 grand a month for value that they add to salespeople, I have no idea. I'm sure you can calculate it or someone has calculated it because um, that'll be part of sales ops and someone's job to calculate it, right? Yeah. You know, I think there will be a point. You're right, though. I mean, there's a, the point of diminishing returns, right, where it just doesn't make sure. any sense to invest more money. And so I think, you know, you're going to see, if we haven't seen already, you know, the, the rise of the, uh, I don't know, like sales operations, which I think is going to be a blend of sales, IT, and whoever else, right, in the tech, on the tech side. So I think all this is going to play into, into this realm. But 400 right now, I think, is still reasonable. And I think you'll see it being pushed up to like the seven, 800 in the next couple of years. Sure, sure. Is there any tools, Victor, again, uh, kind of leaning on your your leadership and uh, management experience here, is there any tools here that don't really exist for salespeople that you would like to see created, even if it's somewhat difficult to create them now? Is there anything, is there any gaps you see in the marketplace that you would love to, to see filled? Tough question. I, I would love a product, and I know they're out there already trying to build, they're just not that good, is to really populate presentations with, I'll tell you what I want to talk about, It'll go into its content management system and pull out, or at least if not format it for me, pull out what I need and then begin to try to assemble it for me in the sequence I gave you. Wouldn't that be great if I can outline the presentation flow from beginning to close, and then it would go into the content management system and pull all the relevant information and lay out a presentation. Like, you know how you put everything on a slide table and you can see all your slides on PowerPoint or a Keynote? Imagine it coming back with something like that. Ooh. There's a product, if you're listening out there, there's a great product. Because I would like, yeah, I'll have my presentation first. I think that's that to me would be a great one. We spend too much time uh, formatting presentations. Imagine you'd have the font standardized, size, colors, and all that stuff. Everything's already, you know, branded. So I think it would save a lot of time. What do you think that of that doesn't seem well, like That doesn't seem like that big of a uh, thing to put together. There must be... Uh, well, there is. There's plenty of companies that design presentations. They all have, uh, whether they're a consulting firm or, or what, they have their own frameworks for creating them. What would be interesting to add a layer onto that would be to use AI machine learning to pull data from a database for your specific presentation of, you put a customer in, it looks at the competitors in the marketplace, it looks at the companies you've worked with who are similar, and then populates some of the content within the presentation itself. Even if it could do, imagine doing this on stage or in a boardroom and the numbers are updating in real time with the market uh, as the market changes or anything that's going on like that. I think that'd be cool. That'd be uh, that would get my attention. That, that'd be brilliant, actually. I kind of like as you're saying. I can visualize it. The whole pulling the information, the latest. I mean, think about how much time we spent going back to update or having to correct slides that are outdated. Will you just gave somebody 
a multi-million dollar idea. <laughs> yes, right. I wish, I, 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 I love <laughs> brainstorming this kind of stuff, Victor, and it's something that um, I've, had, I've been asked to advise startups in the past and it's just, there's no money in it for the kind of same the, here, the, same you know. here. <laughs> same and it's but but I enjoy yeah. doing it. I really enjoy. Maybe it's right. we do a section at the end of this show where we both uh, we every week we pitch each other a new uh, a new product or service, um, yeah. in kind of half in jest. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, but with that, Victor, tell idea. us about this is good. This is good. Tell us about so anyway, Salesforce. This is a good idea. All right, Salesforce unveils. Now we've never talked about. You know, one of the things I'm harping on lately is retention. Retention, retention, retention. If we can't grow the market, let's at least retain what we got or upsell and cross sell. So Salesforce, not that I like to talk about Salesforce all the time. They just seem to come up with something that's a little different. Last week, we talked about Allbound, building a platform for channels and distributors. So this is kind of new, and I thought I'd highlight this. So Salesforce unveils loyalty management platform. Can we call that an LMP? Just like the acronym, <laughs> put acronyms on everything. An LMP for businesses as online sales boom. Salesforce is rolling out a new product to let B2C and B2B companies easily add loyalty programs at a time when the company says online holiday retail sales grew. Listen to this, well, 50% to top $1 trillion. Man, that credit card swiper was going nuts. Mm-hmm. Quote, uh, organizations with high level of customer loyalty outperform their competition. No surprise there. So it's critical that they provide their customers with valuable and memorable experience to build trust. Says David Schmeyer, CEO of Salesforce Industries, uh, in unveiling the company's new loyalty management product, right? Uh, the new system will enable businesses to build loyalty programs on the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. What are your thoughts on that and loyalty in general? What do you think of that? I think if you can get it right, it is killer. But I'm not loyal to anyone for anything. And so Wow. By the way, if 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 your partner heard this right now, and this could <laughs> I mean, really business, be taken out of context. Money. Oh, okay. So my bad. My bad. My bad. Go ahead, Will. <laughs> Trying to get me in trouble. Right. <laughs> yes. So I'll give you a few examples. So um we're we're collecting this puppy on Monday, and so the cheapest mm. website to get dog food from does it via a monthly subscription. Now I paid extra to not have a monthly subscription and just to get one bag of it because I don't want to commit mm. to the monthly subscription. So uh, clearly they've not kind of wrote me in there. I know on Amazon, um, I, this happens in the UK, I think it helps elsewhere as well. They'll give you a small discount if you get your shampoo. It's probably not a concern for yourself, Victor, unfortunately, but if you get your, <laughs> if you get your shampoo on a monthly subscription or, or, or you know things like that that you, you do consume and use regularly. And I just refuse to do any of this. If I can pay in vet, uh, pet insurance, I decided just to pay in one lump sum rather than paying on a monthly subscription that just never ends because I mm-hmm. want to get one bill a year and then I can make uh, decisions. So if you can suck me into a loyalty scheme, I'll probably mm-hmm. be on it forever. <clears throat> but the initial inertia to get me on there, I've not found any loyalty schemes that uh, I found to be effective for me just yet. How about yourself? No, you know, well, I, I don't want to forget this question. It's a good question because we're talking about something that's a little off topic, but it's it's. I'm glad you're bringing it up in your way, talking about Walter. Walter, right? Yep. Okay, just want to make sure you didn't change the name. Yeah. So, you know, two questions here. Uh, one is, uh, you know, are we getting tired of subscriptions? Are we just getting subscription fatigue? I do don't like them. I, I, I want to pay for something and I want to own it. So there's, there's, there's multiple layers to this. And my opinion clearly is not uh, clearly isn't uh, representative of the marketplace because subscriptions happen more and more. I don't want to rent a phone by paying a subscription 
each month. I want to buy a phone and then pay a small amount, a smaller amount each month. I don't want to. I want to. I know that it's just gone through um, uh, the court system in America. Some uh, is it Comcast? Some brand were low renting you a modem, even though essentially you own it, and then charging you monthly. And so that was all kiboshed because they were trying to double dip with uh, different fees and things as well. Um, even with software, like we use the Adobe Premiere Suite or the Adobe Creative Suite, uh, self.org to create content. You might do the same, uh, Victor. To uh, I'd rather pay 700 quid for a one-off perpetual license than pay, even if it was 700 quid, uh, o- over the course of three or four years on a monthly subscription. Clearly, it's not 700 quid. It ends up being tens of thousands over the course uh, of a lifetime. That's why they want you on that monthly subscription. But I don't like them. I don't I find it more difficult... It's not easier to budget for me business-wise with subscriptions. I find it more difficult. And yeah, I'd, I'd rather just pay w- one off for things. But I so, might so, clearly... Go on. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I interrupted you. Sorry. I was going to say, clearly, the market is moving this way. So customers are at, at least accepting of it, if not, mm-hmm. um, if not, they actually want this to exist. I don't know if we're accepting of it. Do you know what I mean? Because even sometimes I'm going, can I just pay for this thing and just do a one-off, as you say, a perpetual license? And I'm wondering if, you know, there's going to be a product down the road because the market always does these things. Will there be a product down the road that will allow you to manage all your subscriptions and then you'll be able to tick a little box and it'll cancel it for you because you'll forget? Do you know what I mean? I think that's yep. that would be a good idea. Another another great idea on This Week in Sales. By the way, go to our website, This Week in Sales, if you want to leave some feedback, comments, or you just want to talk to us in general and just say hi. But anyway, so I think Here's that's another product. Here's another startup, Victor. A company that goes to Adobe and says, we will buy $50 million worth of your monthly licenses and then, but we want to be able to sell them as one-off perpetual licenses. So as long as the customer is still using the product, we will pay the subscription on our side, but we sell it uh, as a one-off, knowing full well that a lot of people will um, buy the one-off and then a new version of it will come out. And so they'll buy the new version in three or four years so they can reset the subscription there. I would I, I'd pay a little bit extra not to be messing around with subscriptions on not everything, but on, on a few products for sure. I mean, that's a, a startup I, idea right there. I agree with you. I agree with you. Okay, where were we at, Will? Uh, Salesforce, more Salesforce. An article okay. here from Fool.com, which is the Motley Fool. Where will Salesforce be in five years? So, Victor, I'm, I can see you looking down. Don't look at anything else if you haven't okay. already studied these numbers. What percentage of the market do you think is owned by Salesforce in the CRM space right now? I, I saw the number already. I actually I picked up okay, the number. Okay, so, so don't, I, don't share the number. Let's ask the audience. Let's let, let's let the audience just ponder on this for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, what percentage of the marketplace is controlled by Salesforce right now? Now, the number is 19.8%. I thought it was going to be way higher than that. That was actually a surprise oh, for me. I thought so also. I'm with you on that one. I was, I was surprised. And don't get me wrong, 19.8% of... A massive pie is still billions and billions of dollars, so they're still killing it. Uh, but I thought that was going to be much more. Next up, it says Salesforce's four closest closest rivals. So, again, there were some names in this that I didn't think were as big a players as what they are. SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, and Adobe held a combined share of 17.8% in the first half of 2020. So clearly, the article here is basically saying Salesforce is running away with the marketplace and people, uh, other brands are going to be finding it very difficult to catch up with them. But yeah, I didn't realize that I've never seen, 
I shouldn't say this because I think this is in, this say may it, be including. Um, just say it. Just say it. I think, just say no, it. it's not controversial. I think okay. SAP, Oracle, Microsoft have a quite a, a public and open facing CRM uh, platform that they're pushing, which we've covered on the show before. Adobe, I didn't know they had anything to do with CRM. I feel I like, neither. yeah, I, I feel like, like maybe Salesforce is just doing so well. Or one of the reasons they do so well is because they're just so upfront and public. Their PR is incredible. They create incredible content. Uh, they're just so out there in the marketplace, whereas perhaps some of these other brands are only dealing at the kind of enterprise B2B level and don't create content for, for salespeople and don't get that mindshare from them. What I find is, I mean, Salesforce obviously was first in the market, right? With, you know, uh, with the software, you know, uh, no software to install. What two things surprised me? One was the Adobe. I'm like, you have a CRM? Exactly. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm gonna Google I it didn't right know now. that. Okay, fire that marketing person. You're fired. Either they have a bad marketing person or the poor marketing person doesn't have a big enough budget to market with. So in that case, fire the CEO. I'm just I'm just guiding people here a little bit because if you have that and not really a lot of people know about it, shame on you. How about this one? You got Microsoft in there. Microsoft, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, but didn't they buy LinkedIn? Correct. How are they not killing this market? How are they so not I just... Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I think just, I think they will I'm, be killing I'm, I'm it. I'm frustrated with Microsoft. I'm frustrated. I, Go so ahead. So, I think this is coming. I think Microsoft CRM, um, Active Three Six Five, or whatever it's called. I think that will be turned into LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is going to become a CRM, and I think we touched on this before in the past. Yeah, we have. It has all the data, all the contact information. It can auto fill. It can auto populate. It has all the content to imagine a CRM that salespeople actually want to log into because there's really cool content on there as well. Well, that's what Imagine I mean. That. I mean, you, you own it, log yeah. into it, and but like, why not Why not give them like, I don't know, let's throw this out, let's throw this out for Microsoft. Yo, Bill, Bill Gates. Yo, Bill, you have enough money. Here's what I want you to do. One second. Every One second, Victor. You just said, hey, Bill, and then clarified that you're talking about Bill Gates at Microsoft as if there's any other <laughs> Bill that you're going to be uh, talking to. <laughs> Just wanted to be clear about that. You, you had to call me out on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Keeping me honest. Okay. Bill, you have enough money. You've been hanging out with Warren. Don't need to say the last name, right? You got enough money. So why don't you take your LinkedIn platform, uh, imbue it with your CRM, and create, make that a CRM, and then everybody who has Salesforce is going to be totally dissatisfied. It's you know what I mean? It's, it's got to be coming. It's got to be. I'm like, so... What's also interesting about these numbers you found is that that adds up to about almost roughly 40% of the market, right? The CRM market. So there's a lot of small competitors out there making a lot of noise. So there's going to be a lot of attrition again, you know, and maybe one or two standouts. I, like, like I thought Zoho would be here. I thought Zoho was bigger, Pipe Drive, companies like that, you know, where are they at? Well, I know I'm just going to double check it now. Um, but for example, HubSpot. They did, uh, in 2019, uh, $674 million in revenue. So even companies that aren't getting named are still both incredible and you know massive companies. Good numbers. Good numbers. Good numbers. So uh, maybe kind of the, the point we're both making here of brand recognition has value. And these organizations that maybe they, ha they are dealing, or clearly they are dealing because they're getting tons of, uh, they've got market share and they're driving that revenue. They're dealing at that high level enterprise uh, perhaps they're only dealing with executives, and they're not—they're not—they're uh, not focused on getting in front of the end users, the salespeople. But that's where LinkedIn 
tidy with Microsoft could just come in and just wipe the floor. So I, I did an interview. We'll, go, we'll sidetrack here for a second bit, but I think this is interesting. I'd like to get your thoughts. I did an interview, uh, a couple of interviews this week, actually, on LinkedIn and um, how to improve our profiles and how to create content and things like that, because clearly it's becoming more and more important for B2B salespeople, for B2B salespeople to have a, a presence on there. Where do you feel LinkedIn or in-messages factor into all of this? Because all the experts I spoke to this week said, well, you know, an in-message nine times out of 10 is going to be a salesy, spammy message. And so the data that they had um, showed that people don't tend to pay attention to them or pay less attention. But the salespeople, the organizations that are paying for Sales Navigator, they're paying for LinkedIn messages. Do you think we could be in a scenario where, and this is why, I make tight, this is why it might take some time for LinkedIn to become this uh, overarching CRM, if they get that uh, that established in the marketplace, is the only way you can really contact some of these executives is via LinkedIn because you just can't get through on the phone, you can't get through on email. Do you think they'll be in then a position where they just drop messaging unless you're like a, unless you're really connected, and the only way you can engage with these people on the CRM is by buying credits for in-mail, and then LinkedIn hammer home these in-mails. They make sure that they go into the executive's actual inbox as well as uh, the LinkedIn inbox as well. Do you think that could be the play where they slowly, slowly get everyone used to it, get everyone on the platform, get everyone engaging, get loads of CRM engagement, charge you for Sales Navigator plus the CRM add-in, and then just drop the ability to contact on the platform and force people mm. to use uh, in-messages at a, as a premium? I don't know. I mean, it seems a little draconian. But, you know, it could happen, right? I mean, it could happen. I, I don't know, Will. That's that's an interesting scenario. You know, it's like you went to a dark corner in your brain to think that one up. You know? <laughs> that's what I would be doing. If I were, you know, if I'm, if I'm beholden to uh, the shareholders, that is right. an ecosystem that, you know, and we're going to get onto Facebook and messaging and WhatsApp mm -hmm. and that ecosystem in a second. But if you can own an ecosystem, which the mm -hmm. own, there's no, all, I mean, yeah. let me pose this another direction. Name a competitor to LinkedIn. Can't. Doesn't exist. It's HubSpot. So you've got to you've got to rinse Can't it say wherever you can yeah. until the uh, until the competitor arrives, and then they force you to be honest. Then. Well, that, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, you know, there's smarter people, you know, thinking about this than we are. But I'm wondering why Microsoft isn't more aggressive and just taking, just going after Salesforce's lunch, like even even at Oracle, Larry. Good friend of mine, not. You know, why Why isn't he stepping up to the plate and buying some companies? Like all these smaller companies like HubSpot, not that they're small, but you know what I mean, relatively small. I would start buying some of these up. This isn't going away. Look at look at where the market's going. And so I'm with you. I mean, there's potential there. Um, more to come, I guess, on these. More to come. More to come. Anyway, by the way, read, leave us your uh, feedback. Do, have, have people leave us feedback. You know, what do you think? What is happening? Do you agree with Will's take on LinkedIn and what should happen in the future? Go to thisweekinsales.com, drop us something. We'd love to add comments to the show. Perfect. Just one note on Oracle. I read an article, it wasn't too long ago. The CEO and his two sons have actual fighter jets that they play with. Their toys are actual fighter jets that they fly and dogfight with. That is how rich they are. Loaded <laughs> that dude is. Yes. How insane they is that? They got an actual fighting jets. <laughs> You get up on a Sunday morning, you're like, all right, lads, we're taking the, the, the yeah. jets out for a dog fight before we have a roast dinner. It's insane. Because he was, he was funding all these big sailboats, right? These sales uh, boat competitions. So yeah. now he's moving on to fighter jets. Uh, Larry, if you're listening, uh, Will and I would be willing to go up on a jet <laughs> with you, FYI. So let's do that. Anyway, can we talk Gartner? 
and prediction. Gardner's always predicting something. I don't know. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Here's I got some predictions for you. Here they come. Gardner predicts, and let me just kind of frame this one, Will. This is not directly associated with sales, but as we talk about you know sales engagement, I think this has a tangential some tangential relevance. Gartner predicts 80% of customer service organizations will abandon native mobile apps in favor of messaging by 2025. So let me read some of this. Digital transformation for service organizations initially focused on websites for desktop users, but shifted to enterprise native mobile app experiences with the proliferation of smartphones and tablets. Now, I'll pause here because uh, I saw a data point about, you know, when we look at things, we consume content, literally 80% of the content we're now consuming, is, and the number probably gets higher if you're talking to millennials and Gen Xers, is via a smartphone. So we're not even using our computers that much to consume content. However, despite significant investment promotion, most service organizations have failed to gain strong customer adoption of their service apps. As a result, service organizations will increasingly retire native mobile app experiences in favor of messaging. <clears throat> I quote, messaging channels such as SMS and third-party messaging apps like Facebook, Messenger, WeChat, and WhatsApp have been widely embraced in the global market, making them ideal for service organizations, said Phil Jenkins, senior director analyst, senior director analyst in the Gartner Customer Service and Support Practices. First of all, that guy needs a shorter title. And <laughs> Will, do you agree with this? What do, what do you think of this, that we're moving towards these, like abandoning our mobile apps, things that we have, for some of these public apps? I am not downloading an app to engage with a product if I don't have to. If I can, now, I'll, I'll tell you a little about, a bit about Signal, and I've just moved everyone that I communicate with to Signal in a second, uh, which is a, 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 a closed messaging app that isn't spying on everything that you do and, and, and mining all your data. So I'll touch on that in a second. But yeah, I would never download, I hate downloaded apps for, for the cameras that we use in the studio or the lighting and stuff. I'd rather just, if I can, go to a desktop, use it on a website, even better, especially for physical things like this, which is kind of less customer service focused. I want a button. I want something physical to press. But the last place I want to go is downloading apps and, and sliding buttons and, and communicating on that front. Now, Clearly, everyone has, pretty much everyone has either Facebook Messenger, WeChat, or WhatsApp installed, right? Clearly, Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, same company, the same now backend. I think uh, Facebook have announced this week that they're going to start uh, basically data mining WhatsApp, which they haven't done in the past. So everything they send over WhatsApp now is going into the Facebook algorithm and whatever number Facebook assigns you, 001X2974, now has all your uh, WhatsApp data linked to it as well. I think WeChat is uh, what's used in the uh, China and, and Asian markets. I think that's the, the equivalent, like the big uh, company that does all doing all the same shenanigans there. I would rather someone connect with me on a Facebook message than me download an app. But with all that said, I'd rather someone text me than any of those things. I don't want, clearly your network carrier is going for all your text messages and probably mining them for advertising as well. Um, but yeah, I trust, maybe I trust my network carrier with my B2B information versus uh, you know Facebook and all these other organizations. But let me flip this on its head slightly for yourself, Victor. As a business owner or sales leadership or a salesperson, 
Do you trust all of your data going through a closed platform like Facebook that once they once you get used to using their platform, they could just stick on a charge for every message that you send from a enterprise organization as opposed to an individual? They could do that overnight and just ravage your, your budget in an instant. I mean, one is, first of all, I'm not concerned about that part. I, you can always just flip everybody over in your organization to use a certain app. If you, in other words, Facebook starts charging, I'm like, screw you. I'm going to I'm going to use something else. There's we're not there's not a lot of sunk cost in there to a point. Now, the flip side of that, the real issue is this goes against the actual grain of what's going on in the market. When we look at customer journey analytics and that pulls content from all these different sources using AI to fill, find some insight. If it's going through let's say WhatsApp because I have WhatsApp, right? Especially for international calls. How do I get that information into my CRM? If I have Salesforce, I'm using Einstein, how do I get it in there to analyze those conversations? So that's a problem. I can't, it kind of goes against the trend, right? Which is how do we create these 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 uh, reservoirs of content, in this case, messaging, and then be able to pull from that data to provide us insight and guide us in our sales process. So this makes no sense to me from that I've, standpoint. I've I've got, I, I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed in you, Victor. It's not the first time, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead terribly disappointed in you, mate. So this was before Christmas. It was an episode, a solo episode when I did it. Facebook have acquired a CRM company, a smallish company, um, but it was still $50 million or whatever it was. So I think, and I covered this on the, on the show then, clearly you didn't listen to it. So I'm, okay. I'm devastated that you okay, uh, didn't keep up with the, the This Week in Sales that week, Victor. Okay. Um, okay. But the way with that is one side. I think Facebook is trying to build their own closed walled garden ecosystem with communication on Facebook. So we'll go through the buying journey. Advertising on Facebook, which is incredible, incredibly targeted. Facebook then have their own marketplace, which has been uh, becoming more and more sophisticated. And it's less kind of random people selling old pairs of shoes like eBay. And it's more and more becoming a platform where you can buy an Xbox or whatever from. It's becoming less local marketplace and more of a Amazon-like ecosystem. That's what the, the I can see it slowly uh, pushing towards that way. They've bought this CRM company. So the it's not just applicable for uh, mum and pops selling random things on the marketplace. It's if they get the CRM CRM integrated into it, then they can clearly a business can use it as a platform as opposed to just individuals. And if you've got all the messaging, you can do customer success. You can do follow up on the back end of it as well. Facebook could become this. Maybe it's more B two C than B two B right now, but they could become this full stack platform to market. Uh, sell and then and, and follow up. And so some of this would make sense from that perspective. Yeah, I guess uh, your point is well taken. But what I was trying to highlight, whether it's Facebook or WhatsApp, if I can't get access to that content, all these conversations, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot. I'm not surprising that Facebook would go in that direction. But I, I think it's going to be a, uh, a self-limiting market for them. It is going to be B2C. The marketplace, I think, is quite exciting. I think the, the marketplace in Facebook is actually quite exciting. It's almost like going to a flea market, a bazaar, right? So I think there's that aspect of it that they're going to own. But I don't see them moving into the B2B space because it's just tainted with B2C stank, as they say, right? Most people would just rather move over to, to LinkedIn. But again, why would you use an external app if you can't get the content? Well, that's my bottom line. Why? Why, why, why? Because you've got no choice. 
because no one wants to install your shitty app, and so you've got to use the apps that people do want to install. <laughs> don't overcomplicate yeah, this. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to install an app for BMW to speak to their customer service. Um, right. They can text me, though. They can text me uh, right. when, when my appointment is and my oil change or whatever it is. Gotcha. But yeah, see, but the thing is, when, even that text, I want to grab that text information as a company. I don't want to go through a third-party service. I'm with you. I don't want to use WhatsApp. And if I can't use my own app, then maybe I'll just use texting. I can capture that. Or email. You know. Anyway, I'm moving on. Let's move on. Well. <laughs> okay, next, next point here is from a Forbes article. As I close the tab like a fool. Uh, Forbes article. I will link to all of these in the show notes of this episode as well, all the posts that we're talking about. And it's talking about what companies that grew in 2020 realized about sales training. Victor, <laughs> some of these will become, uh, some of these, the, the six things that companies realized about sales training that they should have probably realized 30 years ago when they first started implementing it. But we'll run through these now because I thought they were interesting. And the point of this is that perhaps sales training isn't just all about the numbers. There's, more, there's other elements to it as well. So number one, employee satisfaction. If you're well-trained, I guess, and you go to your workplace and you, you're happy with what you're doing, if you can deal with rejection, you've had training on, on things like this and maybe, maybe some of the motivation and mindset elements of selling, probably going to be more satisfied at work. You're going to be more motivated. Better employee retention. And there's data here within this article from Serious Decisions via Forrester that shows each time a B2B sales rep turns over, the opportunity cost in total loss of sales productivity is $200,000. That would pay for a whole bunch of sales training right there, wouldn't it, if we could keep these employees uh, retained a little bit longer. Number four, sales results. Clearly an obvious one. Number five, company culture. Number six, the agility of the enterprise, which was clearly tested in 2020, right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So anyway, I mean, none of these are surprising, right? I mean, it's like if you have poorly trained salespeople, they're going to be not performing. Therefore, they're not going to be motivated, satisfied, and want to move on to some other opportunity that'll probably better fit them. So yes, thank you for stating the obvious, Forbes. Is it well, me... By the way, can I, I'm calling Go Forbes on. out. I'm going to call Forbes out. Every time I read a Forbes article, it's like, you know, paint is used to color. Well, thank you, Forbes. I had a hard time with that. You know, floor cleaner is to clean your floors. It's almost like they state the obvious. So anyway, I don't Sorry, it's Forbes. True. I'm just I'm, get I'm those feeling that way about Forbes. Yeah, I mean, it's just, get those it's, clicks, like, mate. it's just like some cheap mental candy that they throw <laughs> up on their websites. Correct. It's like it's hard to find some good quality content there sometimes. So Forbes, if you listen to me, I said it. Your have you content, ever subscribed if... to Forbes' actual physical magazine? No, I have not. Is it better? I have not either. But I assume yeah. that when I think about Forbes, that's the content within the magazine that is probably useful, relevant, uh, thoroughly researched, as opposed to the clickbaity articles that are there. The worst one for me, though, Victor, is Business Insider. I was on Business Insider the other day. Uh, it was it was researching today's show, and there was an article. I can't remember what it was now. And you'll you'll have seen this where you scroll to the bottom of it, and the next one automatically drops in, so that even if you haven't read the bottom one, they're still getting paid for the the advertising clicks on the next page. And it was it was a product. It was a um, sorry. To, I, I think this might be a sore subject to bring up again, but it was a hair dye product. It was nothing to do with the article that I was reading. There was no uh, machine learning AI algorithm going on there. It was clearly like they're trying to flog 
that word again, trying to flog some kind of hair dye product to people via Business Insider. And so the next article was that, which just immediately made me click off it and now sl- sl- slam them on this show. They could have yeah. had a, a more relevant article. I probably would have got more attention, more reading time, but instead they wanted to throw some more nonsense well, down my throat. It's, it's, it's like, you know, when I, when I look at Forbes, uh, Business Insider, I, I'll even throw Entrepreneur Magazine in that. Some of the stuff is just so obvious. You're like, this doesn't want to, this doesn't want to make me subscribe. You just irritate me at this point. And they, what they do is they get all these writers, right? Who I don't know wrote a book, who you know people you never heard of, and they they write this article and they they frame it like it's brilliant. Five ways to bl- fill in the blank, you know. And you're like, and then you read it, you're like, this is really A B C, and you feel insulted. Anyway, sorry about the rat. I just well, Victor, the thing is though. We clicked the article, didn't we? We did. We did. Who's we fell blame? for it. They're, they're just, they're just f- fulfilling a market need. It's the, there search for... en- it's the search engine's fault. The search <laughs> engine's fault. They should have an AI application that says cheesy, you know, three levels. Cheesy, don't read. Yeah. Might be interesting. At, you should be paying for this because it's that good. I mean, want those three levels. Maybe they have three colors, you know. Sure. Well, I know one thing that this, just to digress slightly here, this might be interesting for the audience. Something that search engines do do is they monitor dwell time when you click off the search engine and when you come back. So if you, this is again, the weirdness of Google monitoring everything you're doing. If you search for uh, how to make a cold call on Google and you click on a Forbes article and immediately come back, then Google rates that article as poor and it will drop it throughout the search engine uh, rankings. Now, if you click it, then click on it, because Google's tracking continuous clicks. Once you've gone via Google, they're continuously tracking you along that thread then. If you end up on four different websites, watch a video and then spend 35 minutes and you tune into a podcast and spend another hour that search engine result will go higher up the, uh, the rankings. So they're trying to do what you're describing there, Victor, but just the well, clout two of, things. of Hub. Well, two things. Let's talk about sure. Google. Two things for Google to help them out, because apparently they need help here. One, uh, if that's exactly how the algorithm works, maybe you should color code your search listings. What if they came up yellow, red, green? Because they knew your personality. Says so this, this red one here, you probably don't want to read that one. The other one, maybe. Or the green one's definitely for your level, or maybe create something called Google Pro. Yeah, I just made that up, Google Pro. And that is, you know, that's where you pay an extra subscription and they filter out all the cheesy garbage out there for you. And, and I don't do know how it, you Victor. would define huh? Victor, Google Pro. your search engine results are different to my search engine results. They are already doing this. So you click a bunch so what's of Forbes your, articles, what, they'll show so, you more Forbes articles. So if I, if I, if I, you're basically saying to me, Victor, if, if you're getting <laughs> I never results, get Forbes on my because, search end results because I'm maybe, not an idiot. Maybe because your searches are done. <laughs> I, think you, I, I only I think get you the dis- most sophisticated way, content in my Google I am, feed. I'm losing how many times you've dissed me on this show today. So <laughs> I've lost count. <laughs> I think it has to be slightly lopsided on this one. Well, Victor, let's move on, mate. Tell us, we're talking about uh, Google's conversion rates. Tell us about conversion rates for SaaS startups. So, okay. So this kind of, the thing is, it just ties, it's a perfect segue into cheesy content, right? Because this one is, uh, I saw this title and I was like, I, Man, I think I just proved your point. Maybe it's just me. I'm just like, I fall for the bait. Look at Will's like nodding his head. If you can't see him on video, he's nodding his head. It's like, yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to tell you, Victor, it's your fault. This one, the title was Eight Psychological Tricks to Increase Conversion Rates for SaaS Startups. Now, the part that caught me was for SaaS Startups. Why would that be different? In my brain, that's how it, that's how it works. And so uh, here's, some of the, here's some of what they went through. All right, eight psychological tricks. 
get rid of distractions to reduce the trouble of making up your mind. Duh, right? Use easy types. Now, this is what I found interesting. Uh, you know, when you're entering information, when you want information, Marketo, for instance, says it increased their conversion rate by 30% from going from nine fields to input to only five fields. And I thought that was interesting, actually. And then in ImageScape increases conversion rate by 120% by going from 11 fields to four fields. So I, I thought that was interesting. That was kind of worth the click, if you know what I mean. But the rest, like, supply fewer decisions, you know, limit, concentrate on pricing, a psychology of pricing, use decoy pricing, three options, and then just push one higher, anchor pricing, uh, use higher wording on your promotions. I, I I saw that one. I just kind of negated it. And then this last one, improve portions somewhat, then cut back the value. I don't know if you read that, but in the event, here's an example they gave. In the event you supply... 50% more extra, you know, a product says you get 50% more or versus, hey, it's 33% of, of the cost. The supply, they said, you know, the supply is the same. The majority of people actually what? Based on this says your prospects will really feel like they're getting a better deal by having 50% extra merchandise. Now, I thought that was interesting, right? If you say 50% more versus 33%, uh, 30%, 33% lower cost, that will work. But in the end, I mean, my question to you, Will, do these psychological tricks really work? Yes, but this is a terrible article and isn't doing this scientifically. <laughs> so on salesman.org, I think it's still on there, to sign up for our webinar and uh, the, the, some of the training that we provide over there, you have to put in both your name and email address. So conversion rates, I, I'm butchering the numbers slightly here, but uh, the, the point will be, uh, I'll, I'll share the point with them. The conversion rates went from, say, 15% on the page to 10% by requesting your name and email address. But open rates on every email that follows as we uh, give you free training and, and content and then at some point uh, kind of sell you on the, the training product doubled, literally went from uh, 10 to 20 odd, 20 plus percent by having, I think we touched on this last week, having your name in the subject line. And clearly you can't get the person's name without uh, asking for it up front. Or you, there are ways to do it, but it's, it, you're getting more complicated than what I'm willing to put into it at that point uh, to do our marketing. So a lot of this stuff is almost irrelevant because all that matters is number of people that land on the page, also cost of acquiring those people on the page and end conversion rates of, of products sold. So that's why some of these numbers can can be useful, but can also be meaningless. You've got to look at, uh, and this is more, I guess, interesting for marketers as opposed to salespeople specifically, but you've got to look at the whole life cycle, life cycle of that customer journey before they get to an end conversion point to make any real judgments on this. And this is why it's a skill and a real science and it's very difficult to, to do. But yeah, if you think you can triple your, your revenue by giving the buyer less decisions on a purchase page, um, it's, it's you know, th there's more to it than that. Yeah, there is. I, I like what you said. There's there's a subtlety in what you said that once people enter their email, your open rate goes up. And that makes sense, right? The rule of consistency, according to Dr. Cialdini, right? The rule of consistency is that, you know, it's a small commitment. And because they made that small commitment, there's a little buy-in. So I, I buy that totally from a psychological standpoint. I uh, want to emphasize, uh, switching topics just a little bit, there's a book coming out called Business Made Simple. Uh, it's by a gentleman by the name of Donald Miller. Now, I want to highlight Donald Miller. I've not interviewed him. I've not talked to him, but I've consumed his information. I get his uh, monthly, not monthly, his weekly newsletter. And it's really 
you know, like highly concentrated snippets of information, and he's finally taking the next step and actually writing a book. And so I want to highlight this for people because there's a lot of cheesy stuff. I guess that's a good word for today, right? A lot of cheesy stuff out there. And his stuff I really like because, I mean, some of it is obvious, uh, but again, it depends on, you know, how much you know. So anyway, what, his book comes out January 19th. Again, the title is uh, Business Made Simple, 60 Days to Master Leadership, Sales, Marketing, Execution, and More on Paperback. January 19th, Donald Miller. Check him out. Also check out his website. Like I said, his free content is very good. I like that. Like I said, I don't like to hate. When I see good content, I'm like, that's good content. So I want to high five that guy. Perfect. I interviewed Sujan Patel, who is the co-founder over at Mailshake the other day. And we've got a big email list at salesman.org and I just don't email it ever. It's a total, uh, it cost a ton of money to put together and I've just totally failed the email list. And he was suggesting that we should do more like weekly breakdowns of all the content or or if we had more staff, we could potentially even do daily uh, breakdowns because there's so much stuff being published. And so he, I can't remember the... Uh, there's a Morning Brew is a business newsletter and the whole mm-hmm. business is based on... Are you familiar with it, Victor? I am not. I'm not. Okay. So the whole business is based around a email newsletter. So it's essentially a magazine that you get in your inbox each day. And rather than having a blog and a website like a Forbes or Business Insider, the only real way you can get access to all the content is by subscribing with your email address, clearly for free, and then clicking the links within the email itself. And the email's massive. You, you could get a summary of today's business news by just subscribing there. Now, I subscribed for a few days and I had to get rid of it because there's just too much stuff hitting my inbox every day. And mm. I, wasn't, I didn't have the mental energy or, or, or kind of uh, just time to go through it. But it's a cool business model and it's something that I wanted to explore uh, a little bit further. So with that said, and Morning Brew, for everyone who's listening, at morningbrew.com. Are there any other newsletters other than, uh, is it Donald's there that you that you subscribe to, Victor? And is there any uh, standout ones that do provide value to a, a B2B sales audience that uh, the audience should subscribe to as well? Uh, the Gartner and the Forrester newsletters are pretty good. The updates. Uh, there's also a guy named, oh, I forgot his name already. He does a lot of AI stuff. It's Bernard something. Wrote a lot of books on artificial intelligence. And he really looks at it from a business application standpoint. And I knew I, I, knew I was going to forget his name. Bernard yeah, that's him. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a great newsletter if you want some updates on AI. He like covers the gamut, the spectrum of everything. Not just it's the medical industry, it's this industry, the legal industry, and his content is pretty solid. I've read a couple of his books, solid books, excellent books, and he has a great, he has a huge following. Cool. We'll, we'll link to all those in the show notes to this episode. And we'll wrap up with a couple <clears throat> more um, news stories here. So this is from HBR.org, Harvard Business Review. How companies are using VR to develop employees' soft skills. So there's a lot to go at in this article. So it's well worth reading it. And I'll just kind of paraphrase some of it as opposed to going in detail. But quoting from the article, recent studies have found that 59% of surveyed hiring managers and 89% of executives reported difficulty recruiting candidates with the required soft skills such as communication, teamwork, and leadership. Victor, is that something you've experienced when recruiting and hiring? Are those numbers uh, accurate? Well, clearly they're, they're somewhat accurate with the data behind them. What I'm asking though, is, is that trend upwards in that us youngins don't have soft skills that perhaps have been um, more ubiquitous in the marketplace in, in prior years and generations? You know, I don't know. But, you know, you know, sometimes I wonder why I hang out with you, Will. 
And then you, you find a little nugget like this, and I go, God, I'm glad I know well, because he found this nugget that I wouldn't have found. And I, and I think the also what's, what's really interesting about this data point, I'm really glad, joking aside, I'm glad you found this one, because I didn't think about it till I read your, your insert here, how being behind a computer screen or gaming too much that you give up those soft skills. I, I guess I never really thought about it. I mean, it's obvious now that you pointed it out, you're like, hey, Victor, there it is. I'm going, oh, that makes sense. Because I thought that the, the, the age of soft skills was going out the door, but you're right. If you're more behind the screen, you don't have that. I've not had to hire like young people, so I, I can't give you an answer on that, Well, but I, sure. I assume this to be correct. Sure. I, I, regular listeners to all of our content uh, will be sick of me talking about dog stuff, but I'm reading tons of books about uh, dog uh, training and stuff at the moment, and a really important part of it, uh, I, for the audience who don't know this, it's the first dog I've had, so this is why I'm so into all the, the training and, and trying to uh, give Walter the best start I can. A lot of it talks about socialization, and it's almost the same for humans, in that maybe 40 years ago, there is no PlayStation, Nintendo, Xbox, internet browser on your on your phone you connect basically unlimited information for you to consume and so you had to go and play poo sticks or i don't know ride your bike or something and, and hang out with other people so there is an element of socialization that young people rightly or wrongly i'm not i'm not so concerned that this is a bad thing um but young people myself included in the millennial category just aren't getting and now imagine being made imagine being 12 13 14, 15 in, in lockdown in the UK. A lot of the schools, well, I think all the schools are closed right now. They're not doing exams this year and that, that's all a whole mess in its own right. If you're, I think they've got reception open because the there's clear studies that show, similar with dogs, at a certain age, you if you're not um, socialized with other kids of the same age, if you don't learn to play together, it has negative effects later on. There's certain ages where it's more important than others. So I think they're keeping uh, reception, uh, like the, I don't know what you call it in the US, but kind of super young kids, they're still able to go to nursery there. Um, so yeah, I, I said I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing, or it just is, but there's definitely data that kind of ties all this together that soft skills are perhaps becoming less. I guess I kind of like less instilled in young people. Yeah, no, no. I and by the way, on, on the, let's talk about a dog a little bit. So my little dog docks in pebbles. Uh, my wife figured out this socialization effect early on. She says by the time they hit, I think it's like thirty days, they have to meet at least a hundred people, mm -hmm. right? Something like that. And so we took her to downtown. We got a little small downtown, and we sat outside in the cafe. And obviously, everybody who came by just wants to either look at the dog, play with the dog. And so now the dog is completely socialized. No weird barking, because that's you know, a sign of the dog has been socialized and not afraid of people. So I like that. But in this case, I think it's really interesting. Well, like I said, you really highlighted something for me. When I read this, I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, they don't have the soft skills. And so, you know, what's going to happen when they do have to talk face to face or even do virtual meetings like you and I, this conversation, we're doing it virtually, right? How do they handle that? So good point. And, and just to juxtapose that for a second, if all the buyers are not like not interested in having face-to-face -face meetings, if they all want to do text uh, kind of deals, then none of it matters, right? And you know, as as buyers, clearly, I guess I don't think I'm being misplaced here in saying that typically salespeople will 
most of the time be younger than a buyer. A sell, it's easier to get a decent sales job and to thrive in it than it, it takes longer to go up the corporate ladder to be able to have budget to be a, a buyer, right? So there's a slight discrepancy in the kind of age of these individuals. But as buyers age up into, or as millennials age up into these buying positions, maybe all this will change again and the marketplace will shift in that maybe they want to do deals over text or they don't want to do deals over face-to-face. So there's there's all these subtle, uh, I guess, uh, social changes that can happen with it as well. Yeah. I, I think soft skills will always be needed. You know, I think they'll always be needed. So that's just my opinion. Fair enough. Well, going back to this post, because we went, <laughs> went around the houses there, Victor. Yeah. Um, they're talking about using VR as, a, as an alternative to traditional e-learning. So using... VR goggles to engage with essentially avatars. And this is what I thought was absolutely fascinating. Uh, they decided, to, I'm quoting here, they decided to put a pilot of a VR solution together with 340 sales reps in which, in which the reps conducted a 30-minute role play session with an avatar designed to simulate a C-level customer. These role plays were recorded and then shared with their representative managers who used them to determine whether the employee should be enrolled into basic, intermediate, or advanced level uh, further training. Now, these avatars aren't just uh, QA, QA, QA. I'm quoting again. For example, if the sales rep doesn't ask enough probing questions of the customer avatar, the avatar will stop engaging with the sales rep and then start answering emails on their phone, just like a human would. <laughs> so I'm incredibly intrigued as to this. Now, I, I imagine also, in real I'm life, also... it, I'm imagining in real life if we did the VR training bit, it's probably a lot more shitter than what they're making out to be here and a lot right, more right. awkward and less sophisticated, if I'm being right. honest. But right. I, I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. But this is clearly the future of training of anything, right? It's, it's scalable. I... It can be done at any time, at any place. The costs, once you've built that initial um, database of, of avatars and, and situations and scenarios, uh, is, is super cheap to run. Uh, am I right in thinking that this is the future of all training? Yeah, I, th- I think there's so many components in here, but let's just say that we can get that realism right through the graphical part i mean we've all seen these movies now they're animations and it looks like they're humans you have to kind of look at is that a real person or not is that a graphic and on top of this you know natural language processing uh sentiment analysis where i can feel what you're actually saying imagine the machine actually being able to sense what you just said was said in anger or what you just said was said with some insecurity start wrapping all this stuff up and this is the future but i'm with you i think right now it's probably still a little clunky 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 you know what i mean and it still <laughs> still needs some work but i love the direction they're moving in <clears throat> yeah it's absolutely fascinating and clearly um the gaming industry is going to be a huge player in this there's ai within games of <clears throat> you know if you look at grand theft auto what's the one that's recently launched uh, cyberpunk i think that's been held back with tons of bugs and, and issues but the ai in that are it's incredible you can go and you know, whatever you're buying or trading the ai will remember you and your actions at one point in the game, and then later on in the game, if you re-engage with that character, it will change the outcome of the engagements that you have later on. So that's amazing. clearly in a, amazing. In a trillion dollar gaming industry, a lot of this can be done uh, and, and will be done before it settles down into the, the much smaller training industry. And I've got one this is, this is, this, final... Before you get to the last story, but this sure. is like exciting stuff, though. I just want to emphasize. Mm-hmm. This is... Re- I mean, we're living through exciting times when it comes to technology. So I just want to like... This is just incredible stuff. Yeah, and, and just to double down on this, if, if we may for a second, Apple, uh, this is not in the notes, but Apple uh, patented, 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 you're making me second guess myself now, <laughs> um, two types of uh, AR 
uh, glasses. One just look like a normal pair of glasses that are going to be thin mm. and stylish and then a headset as well. And so when Apple start releasing products like this, because Apple's always last through the door with a product feature or, or benefit, but it's always then the best because they've had the longest to refine it to let the market settle itself out. Uh, it's very rare that Apple come in at the forefront of a new technology. They claim that they're at the forefront of the technology, but Samsung, who else? And Microsoft, uh, all these uh, Google have usually come up with the technology first and, Google, uh, and Apple refine it. So if they're getting ready to release their own hardware, it's ready for the mainstream. And right now, not everyone, I don't know, anyone has like a, a HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift, which is owned by Facebook. They're the two main VR solutions. But when Apple bring it out, everything's going to change. And there's going to be so many, uh, for yourself and I even, Victor, there's going to be so many startups that will pop up to allow us to do our training virtually when there's an audience that can consume it. I mean, that's, that's when yeah. when Apple launched that product, that is a, a moment of, uh, of excitement that I'm looking forward to with regards to yeah. better training. I, I wonder where we're at on that diffusion curve, you know, that technology diffusion curve where you start out with early adopters, you know. So crossing the chasm, then, chasm, is that the Yeah, point? yeah. Well, before that, there was a guy, I forgot, who actually wrote the diffusion curve. So the crossing the chasm actually, I'm not saying ripped him off, but that was somebody else's content. <laughs> you basically but it's called, say it's, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's diffusion <laughs> curve. I mean, well, uh, Jeff, was it Jeffrey Moore added whatever, I think something more added a nice little twist to it on crossing that chasm. It's almost like the hundredth monkey effect when everything just explodes when you cross the chasm. But the diffusion curve, and I forgot the guy's name, you can look it up, is, um, but I wonder where we're at in that diffusion curve. It's called the diffusion curve of technology. Confusion it was before curve. the guy who wrote oh. crossing the chasm. Yeah, see if I'm right, because I think I'm right. See, even though you insulted me by saying that I don't look up intelligent stuff online, and that's why I get crappy research results, I think, uh, what's the person's name? If you tell me this name, I think I'll get, I'll know it. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> All right, let me look for it for The you. model spawned a range of adap adaptations. I can't come up with a name, Victor. I'm trying to, I'm trying to prove you right. It could be uh, Beale and Boleyn in 1957. No, that's not him. The, uh, yeah, here it is. It should be like Wikipedia. These people are listening to us right I'm now. I'm on Wikipedia. I'm literally on the technology adoption life there it cycle is. Here page. it is. Here it is. There it is. Everett Rogers. That's the guy's name. Diffusion of innovation is a theory that seeks to explain how and why uh, and at what new rates ideas and technology spread. Everett Rogers, a professor of communication studies, popularized the theory in his book, Diffusion of Innovation. The book was first published in 1962, well before Mr. Crossing the Chasm. And if you look at the graph, that's kind of the graph that Mr. Crossing the Chasm used. Now, he gave him credit in the book, so I was joking when he said he ripped him off. He just built on that. He's standing on, a, he's standing on the shoulder of a giant there, but Everett nice. Rogers is the original author of The Diffusion Curve. I guess this is a, a philosophical discussion for another time, Victor, of if the diffusion, diffusion curve falls in the forest, but there's no one there to hear it, did it really fall? As in... I'd never heard of it before crossing the chasm, and so it's not part of my mind sure. You know, so did I, it really exist you, prior? You know, right now we're having an existential crisis. At least you are. <laughs> so I, I think let's move on from that so we can end this show. <laughs> hey, Will, from, tell us about this story you found. This last story to close the show out. And by the way, leave us some feedback again on thisweekinsales.com. Love to hear your takes. And by the way, 
is Will right when it comes to using the words, or is Victor right? That's one question I have. Two, uh, if you if you're more on Will's side, I need you just type in I'm on Will's side. If you're on Victor's side in terms of opinions, put I'm on Victor's side. I, we just need to get some numbers rolling here on who's right most of the time. What do you think? We will? <laughs> we will we'll start doing this, Victor. When uh, for the audience, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to build a this week in sales website <clears> next <throat> week. So all the content lives on its own website, thisweekinsales.com. There'll be tons of extras in there, so I can include polls and stuff. So that'd be a cool thing to do at the end of the show. Do a poll and get the audience to uh, to vote on who is right, Victor or Will, on each episode. Um, but going from one element of of, of craziness and and existential crisis to another, this article from. Clacton, you know it's this, you know it's a bullshit is, article when I, I'm struggling to pronounce the website. <laughs> Clacton and Frinden Gazette.co.uk is entitled "E-Scooter Salesman Falls Off." E-Scooter Sales E-Scooter Salesman falls fell off scooter with dog while drunk. <laughs> An e-scooter salesman has been banned from the road after falling off his scooter whilst drunk with his dog. Uh, what was his name here? He's 31. He well, owns a, a warehouse in Clacton. Did, didn't they publish this? Yeah, but we, we don't need to uh, double down uh, on him, uh, I don't feel. Uh, he deserves to be doubled down on, but go ahead. I, I'll, it, this it, is it, your it, story, so I'll respect you. He doesn't, doesn't need more hassle from us because <laughs> we are just taking the piss clear and, and having a laugh at his expense, so we don't need to name him. Uh, he's 31. He owns a warehouse in Clacton. He slurred his words when police found him with a cut slip in London's Hyde Park following a tip-off from a concerned passerby. Imagine going to the police and tipping them <laughs> off that there's a crazy drunk person riding a e-scooter holding a dog. The animal, the dog itself, which was attached in a bag on the scooter, suffered a, oh, that's a shame, suffered a broken leg on, on Boxing Day. So there we go. So this is not how you sell because this person sells e-scooters. This is not how you demo a product, is it, Victor? No, but the two things here. So the first one is you, you didn't read that one word because I don't know what the word means. It says the animal, which was in a bag attached to the scooter, suffered a broken leg following the prang. The prang. I didn't read it because I didn't understand what's it either. A, I'm going to Google What's a prang? prang. Oh, you don't know. Okay. I, th I thought it was a, a UK phrase, across the pond phrase. Now, and then the other question I have, as you're searching for that, I hope you give me an, uh, an honest answer here. You earlier accused me of getting, you know, you crappy results because I look up crappy articles. How do you not get these results also when you find stuff like this? This is a pretty, you know, low end of the spectrum type of article, Will. Because I went out of my way to find this. Okay. And the rest oh. of my search results are interesting and sophisticated. <laughs> you, so you went to the deep dark I, I had to, to push the, the boat net. out. I had to go to DuckDuckGo, uh, another search engine that doesn't track anything you're doing, and, and throw it in there to find this uh, this news article. I, I got, had to really I push duck, the boat I got, out. I got I got to use DuckDuckGo more. And then I'm going to use your phrase. I got. I had to push the boat out further. I had to push the boat so out. So DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo, it's seemingly a great product. It just doesn't, for me, get me the same results because it doesn't collect data. So how can it give me the results that, uh, effective results that Google do? But there's rumors circulating right now that Apple are looking at buying DuckDuckGo because um, Google pay Apple a crap ton of money every year that Google is the default browser in Safari when you turn on your phone, your iPhone for the first time. So, uh, so that's perhaps a topic for another time right there. Absolutely, absolutely. And right, prank well. just means uh, crash. A uh, car crash, uh, a crash. plane crash, something like that. A prang. Okay, cool. All cool. right. 
Anything you want to throw in, Victor, before we wrap up for this week's This Week in Sales? Uh, a reminder, uh, tomorrow I have my virtual engagement masterclass. So if you just go to victorantonio.com, you can actually uh, sign up there and we'll put a discount code in the actual description below. And other than that, uh, as I was mentioning before we got on this call, just a lot of a lot of inquiries, a lot of dates with virtual you know, conferences that I'm doing for folks. You know, so this is, uh, you know, the first quarter has always been a big year live, but apparently this is also now translating into a big first quarter virtually. And so I'm Are finding any... that... Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Are there any trends that you're being asked to speak on this year that are perhaps different than previous years? Nope. A lot of them are very similar. Uh, sales being the biggest one. And I think, well, here's something that's interesting, Will. I'm getting multiple bookings because, you know, typically I would charge you $20,000, right, for a one-hour keynote. And you get to hang out with me for free. Well, I mean, I mean, you need to appreciate that, first of all. But now they're saying, hey, we're not spending that much money. Maybe we can do a series since I'm pricing it out today at 5000 per event because I have to put all the content together, so forth and so on. Sure. So that's kind of been an interesting trend that I'm now getting booked in a series as opposed to just one event. So it means more work on my side for the same amount of money, but I don't have to travel well. And that is a big plus. And I won't ask you to say this, but I would hesitant, not hesitantly, the opposite of hesitantly, I would uh, aggressively say that a four series Victor Antonio uh, series of sessions remotely is going to be, I'm sure the ones in person, one-offs are effective, but are going to be more effective than perhaps a one person uh, kind of session. Uh, I would I would make that assumption. One, I agree with you. Two, I'm actually more satisfied because when you get to do the four series, you build on the last one. And you're not tired because we do one one week and then the next month we do it. So you almost have a recharge time. And so you're more excited about doing it. And then you keep building on the content and it is a big win-win. And for you, what are some of the, uh, what's what's on tap for this coming week? Uh, nothing. I am literally spending this weekend. Uh, my partner is doing nights. So I get the uh, free reign of my time without having to do any couple stuff, which is great for a change. And I'm just creating content, sharing content, and scheduling content because on Monday I pick up the puppy. So on next week's This Week in Sales, depending if he's asleep or you might just see me covered in, or you will see me covered in fur because he's a golden retriever, <laughs> we'll have a, an extra guest to the show, which will be exciting. All right. I'm looking forward to meeting Walter, <laughs> named after right. Breaking Bad's drug dealer. Yes. Drug, a drug dealer who's looking after his family by doing a little bit on the side, Victor. That's, Justify so all you want. So you had to go negative there, mate. You, you blame me for being negative. <laughs> he's, only, he's only doing his best for his kids. Oh, man. Always great with you, Will. You're awesome. <laughs> right. Well, with that, we'll wrap up things there. Everything that we talked about is will be available in the show notes of this episode. Um, you can ask us questions uh, over to thisweekinsales.com if there's any news you want us to cover, if there's anything exciting coming around the corner. If you are a, because there's quite a few product managers and marketing managers and directors following us now, Victor, if you are a product manager uh, or anything of that type and you've got any news, any new features, anything that you think would be valuable for the This Week in Sales audience to hear, drop it in the contact box over the contact box over at thisweekinsales.com. And with that said, my name is Will Barron. That was Victor Antonio, sales legend. And that was This Week in Sales.